Becoming you. What does that even mean? To me, it's a process. Taking off the mask, shedding your self-protective layers, being authentic, true to yourself, and also aligning your thoughts and your feelings and your actions with that future higher self instead of with the person you've been in the past. Dictionary.com says becoming is any process of change. I'm getting ready to guide my group coaching program that's called Becoming You. It's designed for people who are in states of transition, who may be falling back into old patterns, default ways of being that aren't serving them. They have these big goals and they're wanting to get there, but they have to change what they're doing in order to achieve their dreams. As we all know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And so in this container, we're looking at the patterns that you do over and over again, and then we're figuring out how to shift those. Welcome to Love Liz, the podcast that's all about inspiring you to be yourself, find true love and live your purpose. This is for all of you seekers with deep desires who are struggling with your own self-worth and figuring out how to make your dreams come true. I'm your host, Liz Newcomer, actor turned Enneagram coach, human design practitioner, wife and mama. I believe that who you are is enough to create the life and love you desire. Listen to find out why. The process of becoming you is five steps. Step one is get clarity. Step two is master your mindset. Step three is feel comfortable in your skin. Step four is build confidence. And step five is set yourself up for success. So I'm gonna take you through this process so that you can have a framework on becoming you. I use two foundational tools in my work the Enneagram and human design. And then I weave those with coaching techniques, mindfulness practices to do this work of change and transformation. I want you to bring a dream that you have, a goal you want to achieve into your mind's eye. Whether you want to lose weight, make more money, meet your dream partner, have more freedom in your job, travel the world, whatever that is for you, I want you to imagine that that person who is or does or has that thing, that you, the one who is capable of making your dreams come true. Who is that person? I love to do future self, higher self meditations, and I will include one in the show notes for you to do as well. But one thing that I find really interesting is whenever I see that future me. She's always wearing a long flowing dress. It's either white with like lace, very Edwardian, or it's floral and beautiful, romantic, flowy. She has long flowing hair. Her face is just radiant. She's glowing. She has a softness in her expression, light in her eyes, this smile that comes from the inside out. And she always feels really grounded, patient. She's not in a hurry. She's not in a rush. She listens. She's so present, this future version of me, this higher self. And she's really in flow with life. Like she's willing to ride the waves. She doesn't get overly caught up in drama. She has this deep connection to herself. And because she knows how to show up and take care of and love and accept all parts of herself, she's just so present and wonderful to be with. And when I meet her in my meditations, 
And then I can feel the distance between how I am in my everyday life and how she seems to be. I'm like, oh, interesting. Like my graspiness or my playing the victim or me feeling like I have to prove myself or have this sense of urgency or like get it done fast or compare myself to other people. I'm like, she doesn't do any of that. She doesn't need to. So how does she inform me? And so I created this process to integrate my past self, which is a lot of as your Enneagram type, it is your personality, it's your habits, it's your patterns in human design, it's your conditioning, it's your current self-concept, who you believe that you are. And so right now in this moment, you are both the past, present and future version of you. And you have a choice. You can choose to do things the way you've done them in the past. You can choose to do them the way your future self would do. And you make all of those choices in this moment. So they're all connected. When I was getting my certified Enneagram teacher training back in 2012, I was in Montreat, North Carolina. And the thing that I was wrestling with at the time is I had a very good friend. And when I was single, we were inseparable. We spent so much time together. She was going through a really bad breakup. So she was living with me and I listened to her for periods of time and I just wanted to be the best friend for her. And she kept calling me her angel and I loved it. I was like, I want to be someone's angel. So I was getting so much out of being loved and appreciated by her and being a good friend. And then I met my now husband and we started dating and things shifted for us. And I no longer was available for her to listen to her heartbreak or to be inseparable the way we had been in the past. And I was changing and she's a type six on the Enneagram. And that was very threatening to her because all of a sudden my loyalty felt like it shifted from her to my now husband, then boyfriend. And then she did what sixes do when they get scared. Their defense mechanism is project. And so she projected a lot onto me and on to my relationship. And she wasn't wrong about all of it. She had a really fair perspective. And part of my issue is that I was had tendencies of codependency with her and then those that I was transferring onto Michael. But I also knew that this was something that I wanted to work on and that it was just going to be my cosmic lesson in life is like how to be connected to my loved ones without being codependent. So I was kind of up for the lesson. So we had several really hard conversations. And then finally, one day I just pulled the plug on our friendship. And I was like, I think we should take a break. And right after that, I went to my Enneagram intensive And while I was there and I was learning about my Enneagram type four and shame, and I was like, oh, the reason I pulled the plug on that friendship is because I didn't want to face my own shame that I was not a perfect friend, that even though she saw me as this angel, I wasn't an angel because sometimes she would be talking for 45 minutes. And in my mind, I was like, please stop talking. But I wasn't brave or courageous enough to say, hey, I've kind of reached my limit. I wasn't able to set a healthy boundary with her. I taught her how to perceive me and treat me. And I made her believe that I was this altruistic 
perfect friend. And then when she saw that I was something different and she was like, wait, who even are you? And I didn't want her to know the truth, which is that I'm both. Yes, I can be an angel. And yes, I can be a devil. And yes, I can be altruistic. And yes, I can be selfish because I'm human. But at the time I was like, it was so hard for me to face the fact that I wasn't this gem of a friend a hundred percent of the time. And it was easier for me to just shut that door to her. And so I was doing a meditation in this intensive. And all of a sudden I had this image that this ideal version of me was right in front. And then the part of me that was inside my body was trying to catch up to that ideal version. And the pain that I felt, the melancholy, the longing had to do with the distance between where I was in my body and where I wanted to be and where I envisioned and imagined that I could be. And that pretty much sums up what it's like to be an Enneagram type four. In a nutshell, (laughs) that's what the experience is. And then this refrain popped in my mind, which was, I'd rather be the real me than the ideal me. And I knew that that took courage and it took a whole lot of self-compassion. And I had to integrate these two sides of myself, which I did with the Enneagram, with shadow work, with human design. It's really all part of my work that I practice for myself and that I teach my clients. Now, I want to say there's a slight difference between the future higher self version of me and that ideal perfect version of me. That higher self feels like my essence, which in the Enneagram world, your essential self, who you were born here to be, and also from a human design perspective, who you were designed to be. This unique, no one else like you, perfectly imperfect creature. And then there's all the layers of conditioning that we put on top of that essential self and fears and wanting to be loved and have security and be worthy. And then all of the ways that we act out of that. But the higher self is the one who has integrated it all and accept all parts of myself, not just the good ones. Okay. So come back to whatever it is that you are dreaming of, the person you want to become, something you want to have or be or do. And likely there is this space between what that person, the you that achieves and reaches those goals and dreams and how you're showing up now. This is where habits come in and I love the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. Actually, I've never read the full book, but I got enough in like the beginning. And he talks about if you want to be a runner, if that's your dream, then you've got to build the habit of showing up for the run. And Stephen Pressfield, who also has written two of my favorite books, The War of Art and Turning Pro, he talks about if you want to be a writer, if, it, if that's your dream, a writer is a person who writes not the person who thinks about writing. So you've got to take that action. In his book, Turning Pro, Stephen Pressfield says, this book is about habits. The difference between an amateur and a professional is in their habits. We can never free ourselves from habits. The human being is a creature of habit, but we can replace bad habits with good ones. We can trade in the habits of the amateur and the addict for the practice of the professional and the committed artist or entrepreneur. That's another way of looking at this process of becoming you. It is getting those habits of how you think, feel, and act 
in line with the person that you are becoming who has already achieved those things. I was talking to that same friend who I had the breakup with in 2012 and we got back together and she's one of my dear friends and I will be singing in her wedding later this year. And I was telling her about selling this Becoming You group coaching program and how challenging it's been and how I'm not reaching my goals. And she started talking about Well, how consistently are you showing up on social media? How much are you actually selling the program? How much are you telling people about the transformation? And she's also a coach. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, you know what? I've done so much thinking about it, imagining it, hours, days. You have no idea how long I've been thinking about this program. But when it comes to taking the action of meeting people and telling them about it and offering them and inviting them to come inside, that is a very small fraction and portion. And I told her, I was like, you know, I'll put one post on social media And then I have this delusional sense of entitlement that because I put that one post and I've spent eons thinking about the post that I should get the immediate response that I want, that like people are clamoring to get inside the doors of becoming you. And the truth is, is that it takes time. And when I have these high expectations, there's so much pressure and I set myself up for failure every time. And then I get to be the victim and I get to be like, nobody wants it. I guess I should just go back to being, you know, mediocre and I'm misunderstood and nobody wants what I have to offer. And I guess I'll go eat worms. And it's this victim mentality this is my pattern and this is my Enneagram type. In Stephen Pressfield's first book, The War of Art, he says, casting yourself as a victim is the antithesis of doing your work. Don't do it. If you're doing it, stop. And just leaving these voice messages back and forth with my friend, I was like, oh yeah, I am. I'm doing it. So I have to take myself through this same process, which I'm going to dive into now. Step one is get clarity. This is where you've got that goal, that dream, which is your compass. It's the direction that you point your boat toward. And then you do an inventory of what am I doing now? And will that get me where I want to go? What are my habits? What are my actions? What's not working for me? And it's just getting really clear about what isn't serving you. In human design, I have gate 18, which is called the gate of correction or the wholeness doctor. It's all about seeing the wholeness and the healing potential in all things and looking at what is not working and then figuring out what is. And that's in my conscious Jupiter and my conscious and unconscious Saturn, which is so interesting because I love working with Saturn returns women and Jupiter is sort of how I will attract abundance in this life. And I'm like, yeah, it's looking at what isn't working for you and then how can you shift it or how can you integrate it or embody it or garner the lesson that it's offering to you and alchemize it. Okay, so that first step of getting clear, taking an inventory of your current habits and patterns and also setting those intentions 
what it is that you really want, your dream, your goal. So inside the program, I have some women who are looking at their financial state and want to budget and have a sense of abundance and one who wants to set healthy boundaries and really listen to her own body in her relationships instead of people pleasing. Whatever that person that you want to be does, we're figuring out the path to get there, to become her. This is also where we introduce your Enneagram type and your human design. Because your Enneagram type is a map of your patterns and it lays out exactly what you do that usually at this point in your life is no longer serving you. And it also shows you the path of growth, where you need to shift your focus in order to receive that dream that you're calling in, that manifestation. And then your human design is who you're designed to be and also where you're prone to conditioning from the outside environment, from other people, and how you can align yourself with your own unique energy and how it's designed to flow so that you can call in and receive those manifestations. So those are our two foundational tools. And then with each step, there's some sort of practice to integrate it and apply the shifts. So step two is master your mindset. Who you have been in the past and who you know yourself to be right now, you have a certain self-concept who you believe yourself to be, and many, many beliefs that you think are true based on your past experience. And a lot of times those beliefs will not help you become the person you want to be because there's a ceiling, there's a limit on them. So we call them limiting beliefs. They hold you back. And because our mind likes what is safe and what is known and our subconscious, it repeats the things that we know to be true. And so this mastering your mindset is really about choosing those thoughts that are liberating. We do thought work here. Choosing the beliefs that if you already had the thing or were the person you want to be, what do they believe about yourself? This is very integral to manifestation work, law of attraction. And so we get your thoughts and beliefs on board for doing the next part of the process. Step three is feel comfortable in your skin. This is where we bring in the heart, the uncomfortable emotions, shadow work. This is the vice to virtue conversion from the Enneagram perspective. And this is where your conditioning in your centers shows up your journey to wisdom of those centers. But I wanna give you a real practicality, an example of what this looks like in real life. So in summer to fall of 2020, I realized that I wanted to go on a diet because I'd been drinking a lot of alcohol and eating a lot of things and cushioning myself from the unknown that was COVID and the pandemic, but it wasn't working for me. And it was actually making me feel more depressed and less hopeful about the future. And I wanted to turn things around. And I was on a run and I was listening to a masterclass from this program, this health program. And I made a decision on that run. I was like, I'm ready for this. I want to do this. 
And I knew that I was going to go home and have a conversation with my husband and it was going to be uncomfortable because I had a hunch that he wouldn't want to do it and that he would think it was too expensive of a program and that he would be annoyed because we would be eating two different things at night and that it would lead to a disconnection between the two of us. And I was really uncomfortable and I didn't want to face that with him. And there was this conversation I was having in my head and I was like, you know what? It would just be easier if I didn't do this program and just stayed the path that I'm currently on. But because I had gotten to that sort of rock bottom, like, no, this is not where you want to be. And that resolve, that inner resolve was like, you have to have the courage to have that conversation. Again, I'm still working through codependency, all of that. So... I knew because I had been doing this work that it, that in my skin, that it, you know that feeling like your skin is crawling, like it's so uncomfortable. You're like, you can just feel like on fire. I knew that it would just be a challenge. And I went home and I told him what I wanted to do. And he had the exact response I expected of him. He was like, oh, he was so annoyed. It's so expensive. You don't need to do that. You know, just just eat healthy and exercise. Like, (laughs) and for me to stay inside my body, inside my experience without trying to change his reality, tell him how to feel or get defensive or give up on myself and self-abandon and be like, okay, fine, never mind, I won't. I had to be super present and just breathe and feel what I was feeling and stay with it knowing that it was an emotion, energy in motion, it was going to be a wave, it was going to pass, I was going to be okay. And then he said, I'm going for a bike ride. And he left. And I was like, okay, you did it. That was the hardest part. You, and I, and this is not because of Michael, it's because of me. It's because of my perception that being close to my loved ones means I have to be on the same page as them. I have to do the same thing as them. So anyway, he comes back from that bike ride and he says to me, you know what? I'm going to do it with you. And I was like, amazing. And we both lost like 10 to 15 pounds. We had so much energy, great romantic life. We went after our goals. It really shifted everything for us because I was willing to feel comfortable in my skin doing something that was uncomfortable. And it is maybe the most important step of the whole five step process. It's the climax. It's the apex of change. It's the growing out of your shell and feeling so vulnerable. It's doing things differently. And it requires so much self-compassion and space and time I always talk to my acting students about being on the precipice and they all want to be great actors, right? That's why they're taking class. And I ask them to bring to mind an example of someone who is a great actor and what is it about them that makes them so good and so compelling. And it usually is that they feel incredibly present Like you're sitting on the edge of your seat because you truly don't know where this character is going next. You're along for the ride. Now, from the artist actor perspective, what that feels like, that sensation is it feels like you are on the edge of a precipice and you're about to leap into the unknown. 
And it's so scary and it feels so much easier to just stay on that edge because at least you have a ground beneath you than to just dive into the abyss. But when you have the faith to take the leap, it's exhilarating. It's so much fun. You feel like you're flying. You feel alive. You know, the Tower of Terror at Disney World, it's like I haven't been there in, I don't know, 25 years, but it was this tower, you'd get strapped in almost like you're in an elevator and they bring you all the way to the top. And then they do this drop, the ground retracts and it's just, it's like you're, you're free falling (laughs) and it's terrifying and it's thrilling. So that's that step of feeling comfortable in your skin and figuring out what do I need to support me to do the uncomfortable thing. I also have a practice for my clients called skating on thin ice. And that's what it also feels like. It's like, you don't know if the ice is going to crack and you're going to fall into the cold water. And so it requires a lot of focus and attention and concentrated energy to build up the skills that that challenge requires of you. So that's step three. Step four is build confidence. Now, once you've done the risky thing and you're feeling more comfortable in your skin and you are starting to build that trust muscle with yourself, this next step is almost inevitable. But this is where the actions and repetition come into play. So going back to, if you wanna be a writer, you have to write. This is when you're taking the action of writing. And it's also looking at what actions take down your confidence and eliminating or omitting that. So scrolling on social media is one of those patterns that it'll just knock you right out back to your old self. You'll start comparing, you'll stay stuck, and it just isn't productive. So it's consciously choosing to take the actions that are in line with the person you're becoming and showing up to them over and over again. And that's how you become confident. That's how you believe that you are capable of achieving your dreams. And you trust yourself to show up over and over again, no matter what. And the final step five is set yourself up for success. You will falter. You will forget. You will lose confidence. Anytime you want to change, anytime you have a new goal or dream or pursuit or calling, all the old fears are going to rear their ugly head. It's like whenever you go back home for a holiday and you revert right back to your childhood self and you start having fights with your siblings or you're annoyed with your parents and you're like, I thought I was an adult, but I'm 41 and I'm still doing, or I'm 28 and I'm still doing what I did when I was 16. Right. So this last step is where you just look at all of what you've learned and understood about yourself and the shifts that you've made. And then you make it into your own guidebook moving forward that you can come back to over and over and over again. Assembling the resources, making a list of the reinforcements, who you need to call, who are your support people, who do you need to avoid when you're in this process of becoming you. And once that's done, you're literally set for life. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. It's like, you can just do that same thing over and over again, no matter what it is that you want. 
Whoever you are becoming, we are in a constant state of becoming that is our life until we die. And then we become something else. So I hope this podcast resonated with you. I hope it gives you a framework of looking at your own practice and process of becoming you and whatever it is that you want to pursue, whatever dream that you desire, may it give you the path forward to get there. I want nothing more for you than that. And until next time, love, Liz. Okay, y'all. Becoming You starts on February 20th. If this podcast resonated with you, please let me know. Reach out. If you are between the ages of 25 and 32, apply for the program. I would love, love, love to have you inside and guide you through this process. If that does not describe you, I still want to help you become your true, authentic, beautiful self, the best version of you. And I have other ways to do that. I'll leave that link in the show notes.